mercy unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us hear the word of God as we find it written in St. Luke's Gospel, reading there in the second chapter, beginning at the 46th verse. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the low estate of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath opened his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Good morning, dear friends in Christ Jesus. This is a good morning, and I hope that all of us are glad that we are here in God's house to worship our Savior. As you know, today is the fourth Sunday in Advent. That means this is the last Sunday in the Advent season, because today we are standing, as it were, on the threshold of Christmas itself. And we're going to do on this Sunday, as we have been doing on each Sunday in Advent, we're going to again ask the question, what child is this? Who is this child whose birthday we are getting ready to celebrate? And we're turning to the Word of God to get an answer to that question. You remember that on the first Sunday in Advent, we turned to the Apostle Peter, and we asked him, what child is this? You recall his answer. He said, why, this child is no less than a prophet like unto Moses. And we saw that Peter meant an indispensable one, that if he hadn't come, there would not be salvation for any man. Then you remember on the second Sunday in Advent, we turned and we asked one of the elders in heaven, what child is this? And we got this response, he is no less than the lion from the tribe of Judah. He is the winner, he is the conqueror, he is the one as the victor was going to come and will fulfill the promise of salvation that he has made to us. And then last Sunday, you recall, was Commitment Sunday here at Emmanuel. And it was also known as John the Baptist Sunday. So we asked the Baptist last Sunday, what child is this? And you recall his answer said, this child is one who is mightier than I. And we saw that John the Baptist was the mightiest of all the prophets. Jesus, the mighty one, worthy, therefore, of your commitment and mine to him as our Savior. And today, as we stand on the threshold of Christmas itself, it's going to be more intimate. We're going to ask this babe's mother, what child is this? And surely his mother ought to know, don't you think? You know that the angel Gabriel, first of all, appeared to Zacharias in the temple. And remember, he told Zacharias that his wife Elizabeth was going to have a son. His name would be John. Six months later, you recall, the angel Gabriel went up to Nazareth in Galilee and appeared to a virgin by the name of Mary and announced to her that she also was going to have a son. 
and that she was going to be the mother of our Lord. And Gabriel told her that your cousin Elizabeth was already six months great with child. Then you recall that it was Mary who left up in Galilee, came down into Judea, probably to Hebron, about a hundred miles distance, and came down to Hebron to visit her cousin Elizabeth. And as she came into the house and she greeted Elizabeth, we are told that the unborn child in Elizabeth's womb leaped with joy, and that Elizabeth said to Mary, Blessed art thou among women. And then it was that Mary, filled with the Holy Spirit, she prayed the Magnificat, which is the text this morning. You may wonder where does it get the name Magnificat. It's in the Latin, the first word Magnificat means to magnify. Mary began to sing her song, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. And so this morning, in the intimacy of looking at the babe and saying to his mother Mary, Mary, what child is this? Mary responds, don't you know what child this is? And Mary answers, this child is no less than God, my Savior. You and I may be taken back for a moment. We say, Mary, you mean to say that this child is your Savior? And Mary would say, oh, magnify God and rejoice and thank God that this child is no less than God, my Savior. And we may say with all respect, Mary... Did you need a Savior? Mary, you who chosen of God to be the mother of the Christ child, you so greatly blessed, you so greatly given again this honor. Mary, you need a Savior. We may say to ourselves, well, Mary, you don't need a Savior any more than we do. And sometimes we may wonder in ourselves, do we need a Savior? We may say, well, Mary was one of the best of any women that ever lived. We may say to ourselves, in all honesty, and that we are among the best of individuals. We may say that we live to do right and to harm no one. Uh, that again, it's too erect. And again, Troy and Iman, we say, my aim in life is to do right and to harm no man. And I am among the best of individuals. Does Mary need a Savior when she was one of the best of women? And you and I may say, and we are among the best in trying to live lives that are right and trying not to harm our fellow men. We say, Mary... You mean we are to magnify God and praise him because this child is your Savior? And Mary would respond this morning by saying to you and me, Oh yes, and magnify God. Because Mary would assure us this morning that she needed a Savior even as you and I, even though we may say we are among the best of men, we need a Savior too. And we may stop and pause for a moment and say, Mary, who was the mother of Jesus, chosen of God that she needed a savior and that even as she is amongst the best of women and you and I may say that we live to do right as she did and not to harm anybody and that we need a savior and we may say I wonder whether we need a savior did she need one and Mary would say oh I want you to know this you magnify God and thank him that this child is no less than my Savior because Mary would remind you and me in the first place that even though, again, she was one of the best among women and you and I may be among the best of individuals, Mary would remind us that she was born with the taint of original sin even as you and I. We may say, Mary, 
the mother of Jesus, you need a Savior. And as we turn to the Word of God, we may say, was Mary born without sin? Mary would be the first on the basis of Scripture ever to claim that she was immaculate, that she had come into the world without the taint of original sin. The Word of God says, as by one man, that's Adam, sin came into the world and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all had sinned. The Word of God doesn't exclude any one of us. It says that when Adam and Eve sinned, the world sinned, and therefore you and I, because we are descendants of Adam and Eve, that all of us come into the world with the taint of the sin of origin. And that is demonstrable in your life and mine. Every last one of us has come into the world with, again, with an evil desire. Concupiscence is the big word, but we can say with a bent downward. Your life and mine has a bent downward away from God by nature, not a bent upward to God. Mary would be the first to say, I was born with the taint of original sin too. The word of God nowhere makes her born without sin. And Mary would remind you and me this morning, and so were you. And again, so was I, born with the taint of original sin. And therefore, Mary needed a Savior, and you and I, the best of us, even though in all honesty, we may say, we try to do right and live right and try not to harm our fellow man. Mary would say, I came into the world with the taint of original sin, and so did you, and therefore I need a Savior. And it's no wonder then, today she says, magnify God and thank him that this child is his mother's Savior, because that means this, that this child's on the cross, he bore the guilt and punishment of Mary's original sin and also of your original sin and mine as well as for all men and he didn't refuse to do so. Supposing this child had gone to the cross and had not borne the guilt and punishment of our original sin, the state of being born again into this world in a state of sin, original sin is guilt in the sight of God and it damns too. You and I come into the world as sinners not knowing God. We must be born again, says Jesus. And therefore, what a child. No wonder Mary calls to you and me and say, magnify God. This child is his mother's savior. And that means, Mary would say, that he bore the guilt and punishment of my original sin and also yours and all men. If he had not done so, all of us would be lost. And therefore, today on this fourth Sunday in Advent, as we look and we say, what child is this? And Mary says, why, this child is his mother's savior. I needed a savior too. Well, then we ought to thank God for it, and we ought to determine this, that we're going to admit our original sin and then be grateful for baptism. This ought to be the day when we say, I know I was born in sin. Where else did I get this corrupt heart? No one ever taught me how to hate. No one ever had to teach me how to be dishonest. No one ever had to teach me how to lie. You and I were born liars, weren't we? We were born with a heart, as Jesus says, out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. We ought to admit our sin of origin. We all have come into the world with a downward bent away from God to that which, again, God opposes. We ought to be so grateful for baptism because... Jesus says to be born again of water and of the Spirit, that when you and I as infants were baptized, baptism did this, it placed Jesus Christ in your heart and mind, even though we didn't realize it, and washed away the guilt and the eternal punishment of our original sin. And you may say to me this morning, what about the person who has died without baptism? And let's leave that to God. That's God's business. But you and I can rejoice and thank God that in baptism, even before we realized it, that our original guilt and punishment because we were born a human being, 
was washed away in Jesus Christ. And then we're ready for Christmas because then we can say, what a Jesus, what a babe. He remembered everything. He even remembered our original sin. Today, it's an intimate thing, isn't it? When we say to this child's mother, we say, Mary, what child is this? His mother surely ought to know. And she says, don't you know whose child this is? She says, well, this child is no less than God, my Savior. He is his mother's Savior. And we we may stop and say, oh, Mary, uh, you chosen of God, of all women who ever will be born, you were the one chosen to be the mother of the Christ child. And Mary, you needed a Savior. We may say, Mary, you don't need a Savior any more than we do, as long as you're trying to do what is right again. As the Germans used to say, as long as you do right and you don't harm anybody. But Mary would remind you and me that she needed a Savior, even as you and I, the best of us, need a Savior. Because in the second place, she would remind us of this, that she was guilty of sins in thoughts, in words, in deeds, even as you and I. We say, Mary, you needed a Savior. Rather strange, what does the Word of God say about Mary? Mary was the mother of Jesus. She certainly was honored and chosen and exalted. But nowhere in the word of God does it paint her as being the sinless one, even as regards actions. In the two encounters she has with Jesus, do you ever think of this? When the child Jesus was 12 years old, remember when Mary and Joseph took him to Jerusalem at the feast of the Passover, and then, you know, they went on home a one day's journey, and he wasn't along. And then when they came back to Jerusalem, they found him in the temple. And Mary, again, she began to scold him, and she said, Why have you done this to us? Don't you realize that your father and I have been looking for you, and we have been seeking for you, sorrowing? And uh, then Jesus, with utmost respect, he says, How does it come you were looking for me? Don't you know, whisky not, that I must be about my father's business? He took her to task, respectfully, as a 12-year-old. But you should have known where I was, Mary. There was fault-finding. The Word of God brings it out very clearly. It was respectful. Then there was the incident, you know, when Jesus, at the age of 30, embarked upon his messiahship. And when he had gathered a few disciples, he went up to Canaan Galilee for the wedding. Remember they ran out of wine? Well, here was Mary right on the ball. And she comes up to him and says, they're out of wine. Do something. You're going to have to do something. And he looked at her and said, woman, what have I got to do with you? My hour has not yet come. Mary isn't painted in Scripture as being without sin. There was respect, but he told her, now, this is my business, mother. This, when my hour comes, I'll do it, not you. Mary, chosen of God, nowhere in Scripture painted as being without sin. Mary knew it. Oh, Mary would remind you and me that she had sinned and thought where he would remind you and me also that you and I do also. We may say, well, mine is too erect and choy in me, Mont. Again, you may say, I do right and I, I don't harm my neighbor, but uh, how about sin? Have you and I ever thought a sinful thought? Haven't we ever spoken a sinful word? Have you and I never done an evil deed? Have we ever left undone some kindness that we could have done? Because we have, even though we want to do right and we don't want to harm our neighbor, Mary would say, and you also, just as I, you are guilty of sins of acts. And because we need a Savior as Mary did, no wonder she says, magnify God and thank him that this child is his mother's Savior. Because that means this, that this child being his mother's Savior... But when he went to the cross, he also bore the guilt and punishment of Mary's sins of acts and of yours and mine and of all men's, and he didn't refuse to do so. He thought of everything, this child. 
He not only on the cross rendered satisfaction and atoned for our origin sins, but he also rendered satisfaction to God by taking upon him the guilt and punishment of our actual sin. He atoned for all of our sins, original and actual, every last one of them. And if he hadn't, then you and I would be lost and damned forever. This is the Jesus. Mary says he's my Savior, even though it may startle some of us. That Mary, chosen of God, highly honored, blessed among women, that she needed a Savior, Mary admitted it. She said, oh yes, my soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. This is my Savior. He is his mother's Savior. And because he is, therefore, and we can thank God that that means he's also our Savior. She was one of the best of women. You and I, in all sincerity, may say we are among the best of individuals, trying to do what is right, trying not to hurt our neighbor. But nevertheless, we need a Savior. And this was the one who, again, when he bore hell and damnation for you and me on the cross, he did it so that you and I might be rid and be delivered from hell and eternal damnation because he was his mother's Savior. We ought to say to ourselves then on this fourth Sunday in Advent, well, I say, I'm going to thank God, I'm going to magnify him, that this child, as his mother tells us, was his mother's Savior. We ought to say, I'm going to admit that I need him. Oh, as Christians and honesty, we may say that I'm not the worst person that's ever lived. I'm trying to do right. I'm trying not to harm my neighbor. But nevertheless, we ought to admit that we need a Savior. Why? Because we all fail and come short. You see, when we compare our lives with others, we always come out on top, don't we? Because we always compare our lives with someone whose lives don't measure up to ours. But if we compare our lives to the way God wants us to do it, to stand before the Ten Commandments, here is God's standard. God says, how do you look in my eyes? How do you look before my commandments? And God says, thou shalt have no other gods before me. God says, I want you to put my will first, last, and always do you always put my will first. And then you and I stand, even though we try to live good life, and say, God, I don't always put your will first. God says, don't take my name in vain. Have you ever taken my name in vain? Have you broken the entire law? And you and I stand, and then comes a sense of guilt. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Thou shalt honor thy father and thy mother. Thou shalt not kill. Have you ever hated anybody? Thou shalt not commit adultery. Do you ever have any impure thoughts in your mind? You're a sinner, God says. Thou shalt not steal. Have you been dishonest? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Have you ever lied? Thou shalt not covet. Have you had any desires that are evil in your heart? And God says, you stand before me as a sinner. Today ought to be one where we stand before God and say, I need a Savior. Even though we may truthfully say, again, that we are among the best of individuals, kind with might and main to do God's will. Yes, to erect on Schoenemann, the Germans used to say, I do right and I harm no one. But you and I, in attempting to do right, we don't do it, do we? And then we ought to turn to God and confess it and be so grateful for the Lord's Supper. Isn't it a wonderful thing when we admit to God we need a Savior? As Mary admitted it, she said, this is his mother's Savior. This is my Savior. I needed one. When we turn and confess our sins and ask him for forgiveness, isn't it a wonderful thing that in the Lord's Supper Jesus comes and I forgive you. Here is my body and my blood. I give you in connection with bread and wine. I give you these two tremendous erasers. And because I give you my body and blood, this will erase from your soul and assure you 
that all the guilt and punishment of everything that you've ever done wrong has been erased that God no longer sees it. You see, Holy Communion isn't for angels. There's a sign up for Holy Communion. No angels allowed. Gabriel doesn't need it. But again, it says only sinners who know that they need a Savior. When you and I come with that need and say, I need the body and blood of Jesus. I need those erasers to erase from my soul my guilt and my punishment. And oh, what assurance comes. And then we're ready for Christmas because then we've got the joy of a genuine peace. Many a person can say, well, I, I do right and I don't harm my neighbor. I've got peace within. But that's a deluding peace. That isn't real peace. A man without Jesus Christ doesn't have real genuine peace. Because in the moment in his life when conscience awakens and he becomes uh, again in his life very conscious that he's a sinner, then there is no comfort, there isn't any peace, but only the person who is reckoned with Christ, whose conscience has condemned him, who has found in Jesus forgiveness, only that person has peace within. And then that person has the joy of Christmas. We say on this fourth Sunday and we're just on the threshold of Christmas and we ask his mother, we say, Mary, what child is this? And Mary says, oh, magnify God. This child is no less than God, my Savior. He is his mother's Savior. You and I say, oh, Mary, you don't need a Savior any more than we do. And Mary says, oh, yes, I do. Because Mary would remind you and me also that she had no merit whatever to offer God for heaven even as she would remind you and me this morning, the best of us, we haven't any merit to offer God. You may say, well, didn't Mary merit some good at the cross? Was Mary a co-redeemer? Did she in her suffering help to redeem us from sin? Wasn't this such a noble thing that she did in being the mother of Jesus that she had all the merit that she needed for heaven? Well, stand at the cross. What does the word of God say? Remember in that touching scene when Mary stands before Jesus and she has John, the beloved disciple, alongside of her and Jesus looks down and he speaks to her. Rather strange, isn't it? He doesn't say to her, Mother, behold thy son. He says, Woman, behold thy son. He is saying to her, Yes, you are my mother. But again, there's a new relationship. Now he calls her with every respect. Now, woman. Bear in mind, woman, this shall be your son. And he said, Son, your mother. But woman... Here is the relationship. I am your Savior. I am, again, your son, to be sure. You are my mother, bringing me into life, giving me a body and soul conceived by the Holy Spirit. But again, you are a woman. She had no merit. She didn't, by her suffering, ever merit anything for herself or for you and me. And Mary knew it. Again, she stood at the cross. It was woman. Again, this new religion, Mary would say, I had no merit to righteousness, even though I am amongst the best of women. And she could say that honestly. And she would also say to you and me, you and I have no merit either, because therefore we must stand. If our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, as much as we try to do good and harm no one, we again have no righteousness to offer God in exchange for heaven. But Jesus says, that he on the cross, when he bore the guilt and the punishment of our original sin and of our sins of act, that he merited a 100% righteousness for Mary and for you and me, the best among men, if we may say that of ourselves and for all men, and he didn't refuse to do so. Oh, again, we ought to thank God and magnify him that this babe was his mother's savior. 
because in being his mother's savior, that simply means that the righteousness that Mary needed for heaven, he earned for her, and the righteousness that you and I need, he earned for us, and if he had not, there would not be heaven and eternal life for any man. This is the Jesus. He is his mother's savior. We ought to then today, we ought to say, I'm going to magnify God. I need a savior. Mary needed one. And because we all need a savior, I thank and praise God that he was his mother's savior. And that means, therefore, that he was my savior too. He was everybody's savior. And that the best of us need a savior. Uh, then we ought to turn in faith to him and ask him for that 100% righteousness. And he promises that when we put our trust in him as Savior, that he gives us that 100% righteousness that he earned for us on the cross. And then we ask the ticket to heaven, to eternal life, and to everlasting salvation. And then when we have that assurance, we ought to show our appreciation and our thanks in, in the small little things that come in life whereby we can show our appreciation. You see... Uh, you ladies, you can't all be Mary's, can you? There was only one Mary. Why he picked her, this virgin living up in Nazareth and Galilee, God alone only knows. She was honored as no other woman who has ever again been born of man. But there was only one. She was the mother of Jesus. She was the one highly exalted. You Women, when you were kids, if in the children's Christmas services you were picked to be Mary, you just beamed, didn't you? And you ran home and you told Mom, I'm going to be Mary. This was the thrill of a lifetime, wasn't it? And if you weren't chosen, how many of you with your little girls and how many of you when you were small ran into Mother and said, Mother, you put a, you put a covering on your head and Mother pinned it. And then you went and you played with the babe and you imagined you were the Virgin Mary. Why, henceforth, again, she says, all men shall call me blessed. And she has been. Oh, you've named your children Mary or Marie or Maria or Miriam. They're all the same, aren't they? Again, every little girl dreams that she can play the part of Mary. She was tremendous, the only one in all. But... You and I, as we say, I want to live right and I don't want to harm my neighbor, we can't be someone big, but oh, there are little things that we can do. We just had a clothing drive, talking about little things. Isn't that a beautiful letter in the bulletin that I wanted you to read it? To be able to know and to hear that again, on the basis of charity, those who are destitute can go, and they can have clothing, and they can, again, keep themselves warm, well, that's something little, but I don't know about you. But it makes me feel good to know that some destitute individual can go and put on some clothing that was mine to keep his body warm. When we do it in the name of Jesus, that's appreciated. Yesterday, again, the peanut-pushing contest. It's a thrill, it's a small thing, but I hope you and I had some part in it to know that in the county that everybody will have a Christmas a little thing, but this is the way in life we show our gratitude. It isn't too late yet, is it, to do something? To know that somebody will be warm and somebody will have something to eat on Christmas, it was a, a little thing. And then when we show our appreciation that we've got a Savior, he was his mother's Savior, and therefore yours and mine, then we're ready for Christmas because the joy of knowing that when we do it in love for him, these little things, 
Now that it pleases him. Oh, I love a lot of Christmas carols, but there's one that's always been unusually one that I have loved, and that's the one that has come to us from the Czech people, because it carries this spirit. Uh, the little things that we do in love for the Christ child, how it pleases him, it's the carol of the little drummer boy, you know. Everybody was going, there was a newborn king, you see, and people were going to, again, to the manger to see the newborn king, and many were carrying costly gifts. But the Christmas carol from the Czechs tell there was a little drummer boy. He was a poor boy. He had no gift for a king, and he had no gift that was fit for a king, but he went along. All he had was a drum. And he walked up to the Christ child, so the carol goes, and he, he told the little baby Jesus that he was a poor boy. He didn't have anything to give him, but he had a drum. Then he asked the baby Jesus, uh, could I play for you on my drum? That was all he could do. That's all he had. It seemed so little. And he looked at Mary, according to the carol, and Mary nodded. She said that was all right. And then he began to beat on his little drum. And we are told that the ox and, and the lamb, they were beating time. And then he said, I played my best for him. It was such a small thing, but he played his best on the drum, and then he said, and then he smiled at me and my drum. And if in some of these little things, out of gratitude that this Jesus was his mother's savior, and therefore yours and mine, if as we come to Christmas, some of the little things we've done in love for him, that you and I can look down and perhaps he smiles at us, then it's going to be a very Merry Christmas. Amen. The peace of God which passeth all human understanding, keep and unite your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus unto life everlasting. Thank you.